Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by Boxing Hall of Fame broadcaster, the great Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? Good, Ken. Um, where's what's that Yankee hat? <laughs> I'd rather be dead. <laughs> See, that's what you get with us, you know, straightforward, candid stuff. Uh, I. I'd rather see a Yankee hat. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, that insignia of the NY. It's, it's, but, hey, you're loyal. What do you think the Red Sox this year? What do you, I mean. I always think they're going to what, What's their roster look like? What's their, their farm team look like? What's their acquisitions look like? What, you know. I or, couldn't tell you um, one player on the team. Oh, okay. I, bl- I blindly support the team. But yeah, all right. You have a hat. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. This is my pandemic haircut hat. Okay. No haircut equals hat. All right. It looks good. <laughs> it, it, lo- it looks great. Thank you. And uh, Thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by BJJ Fanatics. It's a... Um, website that hosts uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu training tutorial videos, and recently they've expanded into boxing with none other than Teddy Atlas. I figure they figure probably if you're going to get into boxing, let's start with the best. Uh, Thank you. So you recorded recently, recorded several hours of content for those guys, and um, how'd it go? It went great. Hopefully uh, they were happy. Hopefully it's, you know, it's... It's the ABCs of learning how to box. I mean, it's it's uh, it's building a house, you know, putting together the stuff in the basement, go all the way up. You know, it's, for me, training fighters like putting a jigsaw puzzle together. You, you start with the pieces. You create the pieces. You teach the pieces. And then you start putting them together. You get the pieces first. And then you start putting them together, you know, and it's about teaching the psychological part too, because you don't want the pieces to fall apart. You want the puzzle to stay in place. So you got to put glue on it if you want that. I mean, if you really want the puzzle to stay together, Um, not everybody glues their puzzles, but if you want it to stay, you put glue on it. And the glue in my business is the mental side. The mental stability, the mental understanding of that you have the the psychological part to understand what's going on upstairs when things downstairs are happening. You know, you're you're trying to slip a punch. So you got to be taught the physical move of it, how to slip a straight punch and be in position to counter. You know, you slip... Bang, you slip, oh, bang, you're in position to counter. The physical move has got to be taught. The idea behind it has got to be expressed. But the glue, you have to be able to explain that the simple physical move that's not complex doesn't require an Olympian, Olympic athlete to perform it. It becomes complex when you're under pressure. Suddenly now, simple move. I remember teaching the great Twyla Thorpe, uh, the, one of the greatest ballet 
uh, stars of all time, greatest choreographers of all time, singing in the rain, dancing in the rain, uh, did the choreography Hair, that, that old musical Hair, uh, did so many, danced with Berenshikov. I trained her for her comeback. And she was 44, I believe, coming back to, to do special pieces at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. And then she was going to dance with Berenshikov, the Russian dancer, one of the greatest dancers of all time. And she asked me, you know, hired me to, to train her, to get her in shape. And at first I was like, I ain't training a ballerina. You know, you know, I, I, I'm not doing that. But eventually I understood that, you know, when they explained to me, this is the Muhammad Ali of ballet. All right, I'll do it. <laughs> I completely forgot about this story. I'm glad you brought it up. So here I am. I'm training. I'm training like a fighter. And one time she got a black eye and she wore it like a badge of coverage. You know, I'm, I'm not going out there and, you know, trying to beat up women or anything but I mean you know we got the gloves on I'm teaching and and uh, I think I hit a glove one day and it hit her and I was teaching in Gleason's gym in Manhattan and her glove hit she got a black eye and I felt bad I was like oh we could put some witch hazel on it we could do you know all the old time remedies we could put a little this a little she said what are you kidding me Teddy I ain't doing nothing with this I'm going in I'm going into the music school tomorrow with with my badge of honor. <laughs> she wouldn't even put ice on it. And then, you know, she got a nickname, Boom Boom Thop, you know, for, you know, oh, Boom Boom Thop, baby. <laughs> so she was special. She was special. Hey, look, she couldn't have all those accomplishments, all the accolades I just threw at her if she wasn't special. Special. And then on top of it, 44 years old, coming back, special. So, but... She's, they're great athletes, but when I'm teaching her the slipping, the getting away from straight punches, simple move, she she was laughing. I said, "What are you laughing at, Twyla?" She said, "I'm a ballerina my whole life. I do pirouettes in the in the air, in the wind. Uh, like that's not a complicated thing, Ted. Like it's not. It's like come on, I uh, really. It's like Ritz crackers. Like it's not that." hard I said all right Twyla no problem she said I mean really come on she said you want me to do it in pirouette at the same time and do a do a lake uh this and do a you know a 440 and do a, a split and do a you know I don't know what above all these things <laughs> I said all right you know I'm kidding around but she was a great woman so she said it's not it's nothing I said all right you ready I said will you I said, you know, on the stage, you make a mistake, you get embarrassed. She understood pressure, but you make a mistake, you get embarrassed. That's pressure. That's emotional pressure. In the ring, you make a mistake, you get smashed in the face. That's physical pressure. Two different pressures. So I said, that's what we're dealing with. I said, when we get done with this, you'll be able to handle the pressure on the stage, though, like, you know, like eating a Fig Newton. Uh, like it's forget it nothing so you have to take the physical component of this move twyla and remove the emotional component the component that makes you think about getting hit 
of thinking about the danger that's involved in a move. I know the move's simple. But once I introduce, and that was part of the training, to test her, to challenge her, to forge her, to improve her, to, to be able to go into other places. So I said, okay, but I just want you to know, once I introduce the element of danger, of a punch involved that could hit you and do something to you, all of a sudden the move becomes not as simple. She said, Teddy, it's still a simple move. I said, all right, let's go. Put the glove on. I, I, I know what I'm trying to do. What do I do, Ken? I bang it together a few times. You know, she's standing there. She's a lady, you know, great lady. Yeah. Real <laughs> tough, but still, she's a lady. Bang, all right, ready? Come on. I, I go over to the wall. Bang, I bang it against the wall. Bang, make a big noise, you know. Boom. People are probably saying right now, oh, you mean son of a, <laughs> you're doing this, <laughs> you're doing this to a woman here? Oh, you mean sadistic son of a. No, but I'm, 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 I'm a teacher. I'm, try, I'm trying to accomplish something. So I'm banging the wall. She knows now. Oh, well, that's what's coming. I get there. I right, get in front of me. You ready, Twyla? I right, remember. Simple, you know. So all one piece. Don't leave the head on the side. You got to take it like there's a pipe down the middle. All one piece, straight over. Uh, if you don't go straight over, the punch won't miss. Yeah, Teddy, come on, come on, come on. Let's go. All right. All right, let's go. You ready? Okay. <laughs> I said, Twyla, what's up? You know, and again, she's one of the great athletes. I said, Twyla, what happened? She said, no, let's do it again. I don't know. Okay, you ready? Let's go. Do it again. <laughs> I said, Twyla, you're thinking about what the punch can do to you instead of separating that and making the physical move all that matters. The physical move, all that matters. You got to take the emotion out of it. The fear out of it. You have to take, that is what is controlling you now. It's got nothing to do with your ability to be an athlete anymore. It's got to do with your ability to control your mind, your emotions, your natural instinct to survive. Because your natural instinct takes over. And what is it? It's to survive that moment. To survive. How do you survive that moment? How does nature do that? You pull away from what's dangerous. You don't stand there and wait for it and then just do this. Your natural ends. What makes you do that? Teaching, character, development, experience, discipline, control. But that has to be introduced to it. Not, not left alone. Left alone, nature comes in and says, oh, get the hell out of here. Or maybe you close your eyes because it makes it disappear. Yeah, like it makes it disappear. Uh, you don't see it. It's going to hit you. It's going to destroy you. But nature's all it makes you not see it. Nature's job is to get you out of that moment. And that's one of the ways to get out of it. Don't see it. So there was, you know, it was a whole new thing. And um, so that's what this video, this teaching video encompasses. All of that. Yeah, the teaching, the ABCs of boxing. We take you through all the punches, 
We take you through the foundation of your stance. We take you through everything. And then as we put the puzzle together, the glue that holds it together so it doesn't fall apart, this part. We give you the glue to go with it. So you get your puzzle and you get glue to go with it. And um, these guys are the best at doing these things. And they feel good about it. And we had a good time doing it. I felt good about it. And we hope that it's gonna, that people are going to like it and really get something out of it. And that's it. So if you guys want to support the uh, show, support Teddy, please check out BJJFanatics.com. Check out the uh, Teddy Atlas boxing uh, tutorial. Teddy, I want to talk to you today about the five best fighters, pound for pound of the modern era, modern era being defined as 1950 or later. And with that, give it to me. Who do you got as the best pound for pound fighter from 1950 till today? All right, so post 1950. Yes. Okay. So some of you know we eliminate some of the golden era fighters from the 20s to 30s guys, you know, 40s that had even 50s, some of them that had uh, 200, 300 fights and some great ones. But this is the greatness of the sport. It's so expansive. It's so large. It's so it's so deep. And there's been so many great fighters. And when I started doing my work to get ready for this, because I do do work to get ready for this, I care about what I put out there. Um, and I know I'm going to be challenged by some sharp fans out there that know about this sport. I, I started realizing, because I've always talked about the 20s to 30s, to Sam Langford's, to... Henry Armstrong's, the Archie Moore's, and you know, just one after another. Harry Greb, oh my God, Mickey Walker, I mean, Billy Kahn, Slapsy Maxie Rosenblum, uh, oh, God, I'm thinking of Joe Lewis, uh, Jack Johnson. I mean, so so many, so many great fighters. Uh, Benny Leonard, and then. I start getting into from post-50s on to do this list, Ken. And I, I'm like, I'm like slapping myself. Like, hey, Teddy, <laughs> you almost forgot how many great fighters were around during this era. Like you, you got so consumed with the greatness of that era. And it's just great, like I said. You know, you got fighters that people never even heard of that were tremendous fighters. Tony Cancenari. I mean, the most people don't even know that were just unbelievable fighters back in, the, in that era. But I started looking at the list, and I'm like, wow, this will be pretty good. These guys were, whew, wow. I, I, gee, did I, it's kind of like what you take for granted, you know? Yeah. Like, it's kind of like the, the block you live on. Like, you know, you got Steven Spielberg and you got, you know, you, you got Katz and, uh, you, you know, you got <laughs> Lucas. You got, you know, you got all these guys living on the block with you. And, uh, like, you forget 
<laughs> that you got that kind of caliber, <laughs> uh, like it's no big deal. You know, you're coming out. You know, you you come out with your briefs on sometimes Sunday morning. You get up early. You do your running. <laughs> hey, Stephen. You know, it's like no big deal. Other people be like. You and I can't wait till your emails come in, Ken. I can't wait until the stuff comes. <laughs> but like, you you live next door to Steven Spielberg? Not the next house over. A few, a few is a few a few houses away. All right, not next close door. enough. Close <laughs> enough. And so it's kind of like that. I forgot how great some of these fighters were, in, in this era, yeah. especially the eighties to seventies. And it was not an easy list to put together because of. What I just described, the greatness. It, it wasn't yeah. easy to put five. Here it is. Let's go, baby. Drum roll, please. All right, post-1950. All right, this one, for me, it's the only place to start. There's nowhere else to start. The guy who, well, he named himself the greatest. The greatest of all time. Muhammad Ali. Gold medalist in Olympics, uh, heavyweight champion. What three times he came back and won the heavyweight title? Whatever. Uh, there were two Muhammad Ali's. I mean, he was a pioneer first of all. He did things wrong and made it right. That's how good he was. He's probably to be blamed. Cuz used to tell me this. My great mentor, Cuz used to say, you know, and they were close. Him and Ali. And, of course, Cus respected him tremendously. But Cus said, Teddy, you know, this guy was so special for different reasons. Walked to the beat of his own drum. Pioneer. Did things his own way. Different way. Creatively. But he said he's probably the reason. He probably destroyed more fighters' careers than uh, than bad than bad trainers. I was like, what do you mean, Cos? He said, he did everything wrong. Not supposed to be able to do it. It's not in the boxing textbook. He did everything wrong, and for him it worked because he had a great sense of anticipation, great speed, great confidence, great experience, probably 250 amateur fights, whatever, gold medalist, uh, great reflexes, great everything. Just, I mean, great mind, Great athleticism. And so he got away with doing all the things you're not supposed to get away with. Pulling back from a punch, dropping your hands. Never went to the body. <laughs> I mean, well, did you ever see him throw a body punch? I mean, <laughs> if you if you did, you've probably seen Haley's comment. <laughs> I mean, the the guy really, he's an enigma in some way. He he was a pioneer. He took the sport to another place. He went in there and he moved like he moved around with the speed of a featherweight. I mean, he was he moved for fifteen rounds back in the days when you had to go fifteen. Still, he moved around. He the only time like Cus would say that you you touched him was when the referee forced you to touch gloves before he sent you to your corners before the bell before the first bell. I mean, I know Henry Cooper caught him, the left hook, and then he got extra time in the corner because Angelo Dundee might have, by accident, cut his glove a little <laughs> bit and they had to change the gloves, and he got extra time. The great ones, that happens. The great ones, things, the stars line up for him. They get past that one fight. There's something happening. The great ones, the great ones. Destiny is, looks down favorably on him. 
Destiny might even be part. They might be, they may be partners with them. They, they say, this is a great one. We're with him. We're with him. He's our guy. Oh, he's our guy? Yeah, we got to watch him. We got to watch. He's going to be a great one. This is the Messiah. This is the guy. Oh, yeah, that's him? Yep. We got to watch him. And so the great ones get something magical, something special, that one fight on the way up. And, um, you know, Doug Jones was another tough one he had on the way up and was close. And But they get through it. They find a way to get through it. And... He, again, he did things that heavyweights didn't do. I mean, you had James Corbett, gentleman James Corbett in the 20s, moving around, even before the 20s, moving around boxing, but not at this level. Not not with these skill sets. Not this sophisticated, this developed. I mean, his hands were so fast, faster than, like I said, featherweights, small guys. Put combinations together. You could hardly see them. They were a blur. And there was two careers. There were two alleys. I mean, that's all you need to know why he's number one. One would be enough. Two guys. The first one, and then after the three-and-a-half-year exile from the sport, forced on him by his refusal to go into the Army and register in the Army for the draft for the Vietnam War, he lost three-and-a-half years of his prime years. He was like Ted Williams in baseball. Who knows how, I mean, Ted Williams, some people think was the greatest hitter of all time, last guy to hit 400. But who knows how, he probably would have been a home run king too. I think he had 500 some home runs. But he had like five years of his career taken away by serving in the military, Yeah, you know, during the war. And he was one of the greatest pilots, they say, in the history of, of the United States military. Yeah. One of the greatest pilots and one of the greatest flight fishermen used to make his own flies. I mean, uh, this, uh, and he missed five years of his best years. And he's still one of the greatest. Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah, he played for Boston. <laughs> yeah, he played for, but, yeah, he did. That's right. Um, can't, hey, you can, can't be perfect. You can't be perfect. <laughs> but he... Ali, there were two careers. There were two Ali's. The first one that I just described, guy that you never seen a guy like this before, ever. He, you know, he beat Sonny Liston, a great fighter, for the title. And then he winds up having his career interrupted for three and a half years, loses the prime years of his life, comes back, reinvents himself, like George Foreman. George Foreman's great, too. Very special. Comes back, I mean, remakes himself, and now a guy who won with pure skill, really, his will never got tested too much in the first coming of Alley. So we didn't know how tough he was. Kind of like Sugar Ray Leonard up until the time that he, you know, gold medalist, world champion, great fighter, uh, we didn't know beat a great fighter Benitez to win the title. He didn't get a freebie. We didn't know how great Leonard was until he fought Duran and lost. Because then we we gave him his due. He's not just a spectacular athlete, just a guy with God-given talent, just a golden boy, just an overprivileged guy. No, he's tough too. And now we we gave him that. We gave him that. And Ali, nobody really knew how tough he was 
the first coming of Ali, the first part of his career. Nobody knew that. They just knew that we never seen anyone with this kind of talent, these kind of skill sets, and this kind of confidence, this kind of bravado, this kind of charisma, this kind of, you know, everything. Not everyone loved it. Like Ali said, you know, half the people that came to watch me uh, came to see me get beat, and the other half came because they liked me, but one thing they had in common, they all paid for a ticket. Yep. He was a great promoter. Everything. But when he comes back after three and a half years off, he doesn't have these skills anymore. They've been eroded by time. And he comes back, and now where he won purely with skill, he re he recreates himself, Ken, and has another whole career and beats, fights epic, epic fights, historic fights with historic fighters, with epic fighters like Joe Frazier, George Foreman. He comes back and doesn't do it with his skill. It's been taken away from him to a certain extent. He does it with his will. Wow, wow, wow. Now he, he gives a lesson on, on that, on will, on willpower. Shows one of the greatest chins. We didn't know that. Shows one of the greatest chins of all time. He wins on will. You know, still skill, putting punches together. And he was a better puncher than people gave him credit for. When he sat, he was a big man. When he sat down, he could hurt you. Mm -hmm. Not only hurt Joe Frazier, but he, I mean, he knocked out Oscar Bonavina. Joe Frazier didn't do that. Yeah. On his, and that was after his exile, after three and a half years off. After three and a half years off. You know, he knocked out George Foreman, great chin. You know, he there was a little more to it than that. He broke him down this way, too. And then Foreman came back after 10 years off, and Foreman became better, stronger, tougher up here. And so in, in many ways, Foreman, the second coming of Foreman was better than the first coming in, in certain ways uh, as far as what he learned up here. But with Ali... He goes on and he wins the title like two more times, beats all these iconic fighters, these iconic fights, with a lot of his skills diminished, gone, taken away, stolen. Oh, boy. I mean, what a... For you guys out there want to know what he was at his best physically, at his best physically, watch Cleveland Williams fight. Big cat Cleveland Williams and Ali. Now, I know Cleveland Williams was past his prime, but this was a good heavyweight, a good puncher, good heavyweight. Now, he had been through a lot of stuff, and he was past his prime, but when you see the combinations, the footwork, the speed, the grace, wow. I mean, the accuracy. Just watch that. So, number one, Muhammad al Right. Okay. Pound for pound, greatest fighters post 1950s, right? N number two, the great Carlos Monzon, middleweight champion, 87, 3, and 9, middleweight champion. First of all, understand what middleweight champion is. That's a guy that has to not only have the skill sets of a small guy as far as technique and guys are still sophisticated enough. <laughs> and speed and still fast enough, but they got power. They got power. So you gotta, you're dealing with guys that have power, sophistication, skills, 
technique, speed. I mean, it's the, in some ways, it's the perfect storm of talents in the boxing. You, you hit that in-between category, that in-between weight class right there where you have, you know, the small guys, they say, ah, they don't have this, they don't have, you know, but they're quick and they, you know, they got to be smart. And then the heavyweights, you say, well, sometimes it's just about power. If you if you can maneuver around the power, they're slow, their feet are slow, you know, you can have an edge. But middleweights, you had it all. You had to deal with some of the best. And this is a guy who was, he went undefeated for 13 years. Again, you... <laughs> I mean, I'll put it in a better way. He was unbeaten in his last 81 fights. <laughs> I got you now. Do I got you? <laughs> Do I got you now? Why he's yeah. number, and he fought a lot of great fighters. And uh, this is a guy who was tall. He was smooth, relaxed, smooth, kind of like I talked about in another episode about Joe DiMaggio, the great Yankee clipper, where the Yankee fans would say, you know what was great about him? He was so smooth, like silk. It didn't even look like he was trying. He just he just floated out there in the outfield and made it look so easy. And But Monson was, he was tall, and the thing that impressed me, he always got you to fight his fight. He He knew his identity, take advantage of controlling the outside, and for the most part, and he was in there with a lot of good fighters, Benny Briscoe, I mean, a lot of good fighters, Rodriguez, but he he would usually get the, make the fight in the geography of the ring. I used to always talk about that on ESPN for all those years doing the ringside commentary where he controlled, the, he found a way to control the geography that made sense for him. He, he found a way to fight the fight that made most sense for him. It sounds like a pretty simple uh, elementary, you know, proposition, idea, uh, but it's not because you got another guy that wants to fight his fight. So you got to be pretty great most of the time in that many fights to, for the most part, get it where you're fighting your fight, where you're fighting a fight in the territory you want it, the way you want it. That that's, takes greatness. Uh, mentally and physically. All right, number three. You better be great if you're going to use some former great, great, maybe the greatest of all time. If you're going to use and take a name, a nickname from one of the greatest ever, you better be freaking great. Sugar Ray Leonard. Sugar Ray Leonard. Grab Sugar from Sugar Ray Robinson, which m- many people think is the greatest fighter of all time. Uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, great. Fits in any era. That's He's great. He Because he's got it all. The mentality, he can fight inside, outside. He's got the skill sets. He can punch, speed, uh, charisma. He was... I mean, not that that has to be part of it, but boy, he was he had charisma like Ali. Uh, he, like I said, his technique was was tremendous. Defense, offense, he could do it all. He was responsible in all areas. He could go get you. He could box. He could counter punch. 
He's a gold medalist on the greatest Olympic team, for me at least, on the greatest Olympic team, 1976 U.S. Olympic team, boxing Olympic team. He was the gold medalist on that team, five gold medalists from that team, all became world champions. One of them won a bronze medal. There was a sixth guy who won a bronze medal, Big John Tate. He became a heavyweight champ. So this guy, he just had everything. And pit, pit bull dog toughness that a lot of people don't see with the smile, the seven-up commercials. He crossed over. Nobody was doing commercials like that. Uh, seven-up commercials. Uh that's great smile, you know, but behind that smile, oh, you know, you had a junkyard dog, you know, junkyard dogs don't smile. Yep. They, they bite, they bite, they rip and, uh, they're mean. And when it came time to be that, he was that he, he was, what can I say? Another thing that I, I think he doesn't get enough recognition for is he was incredibly intelligent throughout his career, not just inside the ring, but outside of it. And I say this only because he, he actually is one of my neighbors, not not in my like walking distance, but he lives in the same town and his house is listed for sale. You know how much? Fifty million, five zero. Wow. That sounds like a good investment back in the day. Wow. I mean that guy. I see him I see him around town, couldn't be a nicer guy. And 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 but he's clearly like was on top of his finances from day have one. You had, uh, have you put an offer in on the house? No, that's a little bit. What? Uh, that's a little bit what? ostentatious for me. Uh, that's the last thing I need is all that bad press. Don't disappoint your fans now. Stop. <laughs> because you you got guys right now, really, they're in the middle of eating their pasta and they, they just dropped it. Really, they're like, hey, honey, Ken said that he can't afford Sugar Ray Leonard's house. <laughs> Come on, he must be joking. Him and Teddy, they joke a lot. No, no, he just said it. I just heard him. Nah, it is probably a joke. Replay that. Run it again. Anyway, he couldn't be a nicer guy. He's like a, st yeah, he's a, a staple guy. of the community. He's always involved in air anything going on in the community for like the good of others. He's the first one there. Special always. guy. Really he nice, flew guy. In for, nice He guy. flew in from California to my foundation, my charity foundation dinner one year. And uh, everybody loved him. He helped us make $20,000 on a picture. God bless the, God bless, uh, the artist. Um, but matter of fact, it's uh, right behind me, the picture of my dad you see sometimes. But uh, he painted that. But Gabe Perillo, great artist. And he, he painted a picture. He was a good guy. He knew... He always came to my foundation dinner. That year, he knew Leonard was coming. Matter of fact, he asked me, he said, Teddy, who's coming out of the celebrity? I said, well, Sugar Ray Leonard's coming. He said, I'm going to paint a picture, a portrait of him, give it to you. You can auction it off that night, and Leonard could sign it. And we did. We got $20,000 for it. Oh, wow. To help people, you know, to help kids, to help people that we help. That's great. So, so Sugar Ray led it, and... Uh, if that's not enough, what I just said to convince you that he's pound for pound post 1950s greatest of all time, he's Ken's neighbor too. <laughs> Done. Number four. Wait till you hear this one, Ken. You ready? Yep. 
I'll tell you, it comes from your neck of the woods, so you're going to like it. It's going to make you happy. And uh, it shows you how great Leonard must have been to be ahead of this guy, really. Because this guy was maybe the greatest, maybe the greatest middleweight champ of all time. I don't know, but he's up there. Marvelous Marvin Hagler. Oh, Brockton, Massachusetts. Same place that Rocky Marciano came from. How do you explain yep. that? But is it the water or is it just a tough <laughs> place? It's a tough place, right, Ken? Part of Brockton's it? a tough place, yep. Marvelous Marvin Hagler. He, again, not only one of the maybe greatest middleweights, or definitely one of the greatest middleweights, maybe the greatest of all time, but one of the great southpaws, greatest southpaws of all time. This is a guy who had power, <laughs> determination, toughness. You know, he had all these, I'm going to say it the right way, I think. He had all these kind of like white-collar talents, if you will. You know, these great, great, sparkling, sophisticated, whatever. The, all these talents in a blue-collar mentality, in a blue-collar envelope, because that's what he was. He just put his, he was a guy that, kind of like you, that, that he had a Ferrari <laughs> taste and, you know, I'm kidding around, but Ferrari talent, and yet he drove a pickup, <laughs> you know? I, I know you wouldn't be driving a pickup. I, I get it. If it was, it, it'd be a Lamborghini pickup. Too. I don't know. Do they make them? Do they make them? Not Lamborghini, but they have a new Cybertruck coming out from Tesla that looks pretty cool. So here it is. So here's a guy with that kind of talent, you know, and meanwhile he puts his hard hat on and he goes to work. Yeah. He, that's him. That's Marvin Hagler. That's him. He, he's got this talent and he drives the pickup truck and he drives right over you. And But he has the ability to be a Ferrari and drive around you, underneath you, sideways. He could he could counterpunch, he go get you, he could box. He had a great, great, great chin, great, great relentless mentality, great pride. Something happened to him in his life. I'm just saying to make him this way where he just refused like like in one of the great rounds of all time, the great fights of all time, him and Hearns. He just refused to be taken by the great Tommy Hearns who could punch like hell and hurt him in the first round and caught him coming in. It's like hitting a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. The ball goes out of the park fast. I mean, he, he caught Hagler coming in with a right hand, and I, I think it was a right hand or a left hook, but I think it was a right hand. And Hagler just keeps coming, you know. His leg, legs twitch for a split second, but he just kept coming. And, I mean, this is, a, again, he, something formed him to be a guy that just refused to be taken, just refused like like the the fort surrounded. Come on out. How many guys you got out there? Four thousand. <laughs> <laughs> what? 
How many guys you got? 4,000. Come on out. I ain't coming out. <laughs> we got 4,000 people out here. Troops with guns, <laughs> rifles, everything, mortars, bazookas, everything. Well, you better get more men. <laughs> <laughs> you better get more men. And uh, that reminds me of a movie. There was a movie. You knew I had to throw that in. There was a movie. I can't remember the. It was about a. It was about a hitman. He was a hitman, and he was kind of like, he he was helping out this young girl, this twelve year old girl that lived in his building, whose parents got murdered. So he took her under his wing. The professional, I think the name of it might have been. And he took her under his wing and he was protecting her. But he was a, you know, he was a top, you know, hitman, assassin, whatever. And so the police were coming after him. They were coming in the building. And it was a crooked police chief. Of course, you got to throw one in there with the movie. And he, his men come to him and said, what are we doing? He goes, go get he realizes what he's up against. You know what I mean? He goes, go get everybody. And this is a mean police guy. Mean, bad, bad, bad. He goes, go get everybody. He goes, what? Everybody. He goes, get, <laughs> what do you mean? Because he thought he was going to say, listen, bring, you know, bring the fifth floor or bring, you know, bring the 31st precinct guys. You know, bring the, bring the, uh, squat team, you know, bring 15 guys, 20, you know, whatever. Bring, bring whatever. He says, who, who do I get? Bring everybody. He goes, what do you mean? I mean, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll get everybody. You're going to take on Hagler? Bring everybody. Bring everybody. Okay, the great, marvelous Marvin Hagler will be debated for years. I'm going to ask you a question, Ken, before I move on to number five. It's going to be debated forever. People out there want to hear this question answered by you. Did he win the, re the fight with Sugar Ray Leonard? Did he win or lose? Oh, he won by a mile. Now, has that got something to do with where he comes from, with his uh, with his zip code? Everything. So you taught Hagler. Like I tell my kids, we stick together. You want one of us, you're getting all of us. Blind allegiance. All right. I like the attitude. I like the loyalty. I mean, we don't get enough of it in this world. But you, all right, Hagler won. Okay. Not Sugar Ray Leonard. Hagler won, and he, in other words, he got jobs. He should have got that. He lost a split decision to a guy who was like matinee good looks, Olympic gold medalist, had all the commercials. It's hard to say that he was going to get a fair shake in a decision. That's my opinion. How about he? How about Leonard was was brilliant that coming back, you know, off a long time off, uh, and coming back. Because you got to remember the history of that fight. Leonard had a detached retina. He was retired, came out of retirement, 
He moved, you know, he was a welterweight champ. He moved up to middleweight, fought the great Marvin Hagler, who been active, but getting a little older, but been active and everything. And uh, you know, he pulls off the huge upset, uh, big upset, whatever. And he stole a lot of rounds. You know, you talked earlier. You don't give yourself enough credit. You talked earlier about the cerebralness of mm-hmm. of your neighbor, Leonard. You know, is he coming over to dinner? Like, no, we're playing golf tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, again, you gave him the credit of how smart he was. He was smart enough in that fight, not at his prime. You know, he's beyond, and maybe Hagler wasn't at his prime anymore. But they were pretty damn good. But Leonard, under the circumstances, knew that he probably couldn't fight full throttle with this monster and so he fought he moved he did what he had to do and then he stole would you agree with this that maybe he he stole some rounds in the last minute yeah for sure the last 40 seconds so he kind of captured the judge's eyes um it was hey listen it was a Epic, epic. As you're describing that, don't you just miss a big fight? Like, I feel like it's been years. Like, I, the thought yeah. of having, like, a big heavyweight fight or a big welterweight fight of, like, Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford, they could fight it in the parking lot with no fans, no trainers, one ref. I, I couldn't think of something that I'd rather watch on TV is a big fight. Uh, yeah, Nothing yeah. compares to it. Yeah, especially now. And Leonard... Leonard Hagler fit the bill. That was a massive. I remember Hearns and Leonard. Yeah. That was unbelievable, yeah. too. Unbelievable. It really was. And and how about Leonard and Duran and yeah. in the Montreal, you know, the the Montreal um, arena up in Montreal, where where Leonard where Leonard had won the gold medal with the Olympic yep. team, you know, that great in '76. Wow. Okay. Number five, not easy, not easy, not easy. Somebody got to stay, somebody got to go. Roberto Duran's, the Roberto Duran, hands of stone. Hands of stone, Roberto Duran. Now listen, you could choose which division, that's how great he is. He was a champion at lightweight, welterweight, junior middleweight, and I believe middleweight. Yeah. So you're talking about four divisions. Yep. This is a guy who, when I picked Duran, I'm going to say the lightweight Duran, one of the greatest lightweights of all time. I mean, again, a great welterweight too. I mean, it's a guy who, as a lightweight, I mean, great welterweight, but as a lightweight was, I think he went like 50 fights without a loss. Again, you guys are fine. If my memory serves me correct, I know the fans like to see if it does or not every once in a while, test me. I think his first loss was to Esteban de Jesus. Um, He lost a 10-round decision, and he... He'd been undefeated in like 50-something fights uh, when he when he got his first loss. 
Yeah, he lost his fit. He lost his first fight to Esteban de, to Jesus in '72. What? How many fights did he have at the time? Oh, 31 and all. I thought it was more. And Esteban was 32 and one. And and so he was 31 and all. Was that right, Duran? Yes. Okay. All right. Um. And then and then he he went a long time with that lightweight title before. And then, of course, he crossed over to the welterweight. How long did he go till he lost again? What was his record by the time he lost another fight, which would have been the rematch to Leonard, I would imagine. Because he re- he rematched against the Jesus and knocked out the Jesus uh, back in the days when they went 15 rounds. He knocked the, the Jesus out in uh, Panama, outdoors. 72 and 1. See, I knew I was getting to something, Ken. I didn't disappoint <laughs> you. Do I disappoint you? I try not to. I try never to disappoint you, Ken. Uh, 72 and 1. Wow. So, this is one of the great lightweights, welterweights, but I'm going to I'm going to say Duran is a lightweight. First of all, he was a he was an intimidator that we hadn't seen since Sonny Liston, the great heavyweight, who was one of the great intimidators of all time. I mean, he looked at you with those dark, hollow, cold, hollow eyes, and he looked right through you, and sometimes that was just enough. I mean, it would just like be one of those Kung Fu movies where the guy just put his hand right through your chest, yeah, and took the heart <laughs> out. You know what I mean? And then he went like this. Bloom, bloom, bloom. He's got the heart. I mean, he just, some people he would take their spirit out. Sonny Liston just staring. Roberto Duran had that. We just stared at guys, cold, and just made them kind of like evaporate, like a puddle on a, hot August day that just disappear on you. Like like the commentator would turn around and say, where did he go? He was here a minute ago. I heard him get introduced. Where is he? I don't know. Did, did he leave the ring? I, I don't know. He used to be there. Well, I don't. He's not there no more. Where did he go? What happened? I don't know. There's a puddle there. I, 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 he's, I don't know. I don't know, this is a mystery. I don't know. Let's talk with the producer. Hey, did anyone there see where the where the opponent went? I mean, that's that Duran was one of the great intimidators, great fighters. Uh I mean he scared people back in those days as a lightweight. He he could not only was he aggressive and he break it down, a great body puncher, good hand speed, great technique. But he was an aggressive counterpuncher, like a Tyson in some ways, <clears throat> where you didn't appreciate what he was doing to the to the utmost. The people in the ring did, though. They knew he was coming at him, and they weren't hitting him. He had great reflexes, great defense. He was aggressive, but he was an aggressive counterpuncher, an aggressive boxer. He pressed you, but he made you miss as he pressed you. He was good in every area, in every area. Oh my God, he was so good. He and he fought so many great fighters, at so many weight classes. 
Roberto Duran. Hands of stone. Listen, Ken, I couldn't stop at five. So if you will... If you will... Um, indulge you? Indulge me for a moment, my Boston friend. <laughs> uh, I indulge you in that. <laughs> I will go quickly through five more. Because that's that's how tough it was. Those are the five best for me. I know it's subjective. I get it. But let me delve into... Number six, if I will. Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. Wow. I mean. Oh, that's a good one. Here's a guy. That's a good one. That's why I had to do it. I had to do it, Ken. This is a guy I'll put on my spectacles. I don't do that too often. There's a guy who was 107, 6 and 2, 85 knockouts. I mean, he held three titles in three weight classes. This is a steady, a just a steady, solid, solid, technically aggressive, great body puncher, always balanced in position to hurt you. Kind of like the great fighter today, Inoue, in a way. The the Bantamweight champion. He's won a couple titles already at different weight classes from Japan. <laughs> great fighter, pound for pound guy. Uh, he's kind of like, an, in a way, great puncher, always in position, always balanced. Uh, Chavez, aggressive, break you down. He, real good technically, just solid. Kind of like a Marvin Hagler where I said he had all this, but blue collar mentality, hungry. Remember the poverty of where he came from. And it never left him. He was, you know, he was always there, at least in the first three quarters of his career, let's say. And one of the greatest Mexican fighters, and that's a mouthful enough. That's enough. Because what great tradition in history the Mexican... Uh, I mean, they have with the Mexican fighters. I mean, what 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 great tradition and what great fighters? Oh, what great fighters! And Chavez is one of the best. He's one. He could be the best Mexican fighter of all time. He's right there in the top two or three, and he's one of he's one of the great lightweights of all time. I mean, he moved up, you know, three different weight classes. Uh just. Tremendous chin, too. He fought Roger Mayweather. God bless him, he's gone. But Mayweather hit him with the right hand, knock out most guys. He walked right through it. Uh, just, just a tremendous fighter. He, he was one of the throwbacks. You don't hear me say that too often. You don't. But with his attitude, his style, his relentless pursuit of you his ability to do what I said going to the body everything he was like a throwback he reminded me of this for the great fans out there he reminded me of Dick Tiger the middleweight back in the 50s Dick Tiger was a solid just a solid tough strong 
fighter. And that's part of what Chavez was. Really, I had to put him in there, Ken. I think the people will understand that when you're dealing with Teddy Atlas, five becomes ten. Sometimes. Because I have too much respect for these guys to to just leave them out sometimes. You know? It's kind of like uh, that's my... I, I added... I invented that thing the way... The same way some guy invented the saying that uh, Thursday's a new Friday. <laughs> <laughs> you know? All right. Five is the new ten. Okay? <laughs> All right. Number seven. It was tough. It was tough. It was tough putting... Chavez ahead of him. It was tough. I could have put him ahead of Chavez, but you know, at some point you gotta you gotta make a decision. The great sweet pea Pinnell Whitaker. Oh, another good one. The great the great Pinnell Whitaker, Ken. I mean what a great fighter. Could fit in any any era. He was sugar he was Floyd Mayweather before Floyd Mayweather. Stand in front of you, couldn't hit him in the backside with a handful of buckshot. Uh, you know, that's what the old time is. That's what Cush used to say. And this guy, Olympic gold medalist, he had everything. And he had a great smile, great charisma. He was a good guy. He died way too young. And to be fair, and I like to be fair, and really turn the stones over and see what's there. This is a guy who, he was a lightweight, junior welterweight, welterweight, and junior middleweight champ. Wow. And when he won the junior middleweight title, he fought a guy, Julio Cesar Vasquez, who at the time was 53-1. and one. And a good puncher. He he fought so many great fighters, beat so many great fighters, so many weight divisions. And he his record it's not really fair. His final record was forty four and one. Forty wins, four losses, one draw. I think it's just Teddy Atlas, but I don't just say it because I like Pernell Whitaker. I like what he was as a fighter. I respect what he was as a fighter. I respect all of the fighters. But I respect the truth. I want to try to respect and look for the truth. And sometimes this sport doesn't show you the truth. The fighters always show you the truth. Sometimes the administrators of it they don't. The fighters, they do. And you could get robbed for different political reasons. You're with the wrong promoter, you're in the wrong place, uh, whatever. Or you're with the right promoter and you're in the right place. Because he was, I think his record, instead of 40 wins, four losses, one draw, I think that and I think the great Duva family might be listening to our podcast. Mike Borman, all those guys, Dino Duva. Great, great boxing family. 
I think that his real record, Kathy Duval, all of them, I think his real record should be 43-1 and one because he was robbed against Chavez. Um, he got a draw. It should have been a win. Chavez was 87-0 and 0 at the time. Nobody wanted to see him 87-1, I guess. Suleiman, whoever. He should have won versus, I believe, and this was later in his career when he wasn't a, the same fighter. He was already on the downside. But I think he should have gotten a decision against De La Hoya, even though he was beyond his prime already. And also he was robbed against Ramirez. Ramirez was, you ready, Ken? 100 wins and six losses when so Panetta Whitaker they they didn't it's not like they went through the rose bushes to get him you know to get him fights and to get him wins they didn't tiptoe through the tulips like Tiny Tim used to sing yeah you know so he was robbed against Ramirez uh and his last fight at junior middleweight I was I called it on ESPN. I broadcasted that fight. It was sad. Yeah. It was sad to see a fighter who shouldn't have been in the ring anymore. Uh he was not healthy, wasn't he wasn't in shape. He he wasn't Pennell Whitaker anymore. But he probably insisted on the fight. And uh he was hey, he was a shot fighter. And uh he lost to a junior middleweight that he would have handled easily in his, you know, just a couple of years earlier. So, taking nothing away from the guy that, that night, but the truth is the truth. His only real loss should have been Felix Trinidad. But he fought him at the end of his career, too. But that night, you know, again, he was a shell of himself. He went the distance with him, but Trinidad was just, well, he was just too young and too big. Uh but that's you know that that's the only one I could see as a real loss. He, Pennell Whitaker, one of the greatest southpaws of all time, one of the great lightweights of all time, and a terrific a terrific person. Very sad that he died so young. Because uh, he was the kind of guy that you walked in a room and it made you feel good to see him. Yeah, he had that smile. That kid smile. Always. Always. So, number seven. Number eight. The Spinks Jinx, Michael Spinks. Give him his due. He didn't get his due when he got crushed by Tyson. It's not fair, but it happened. So, he became like a footnote to some people. that he and They forget about how great he was. Yep. I mean, he was one of the greatest light heavyweight champs of all time. He's a gold medalist from the 1976. I've said it many times. I think the greatest Olympic team of all time. Uh, I mean, this is a... You know, forget about the 90... I know there's people out there say, I'm thinking, I'm learning. I know there's people out already, you know, they look at... uh, uh, What do you mean? What do you mean? 1984 team... They won nine gold medals, 10 gold medals, 100 gold medals. I don't know what it was. Whatever it was. Uh, what do you mean, Teddy? What do you mean? Uh, the 1976 team won five gold medals. Hey, no comparison, okay? Please. 
I don't care if they won 999 gold medals. There was no Cubans and no Russians in that Olympic uh, Olympics. Uh, that's that's it. Done. No, done. Go argue somewhere else. Go go somewhere <laughs> else. No, that's it. Okay. Go somewhere up in Boston. And argue. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Okay. Number eight, Michael Spinks, gold medalist, uh, undefeated light heavyweight champion, unified the titles, won the heavyweight title, doesn't get enough credit, moves up, becomes the first light heavyweight in the history of the sport to win the heavyweight title. Yeah. He beats Larry Holmes. People say, oh, Larry Holmes was... Not a prime Larry Holmes. Uh, maybe not. No, you probably maybe not. Maybe not. But he still won a lot of fights after that. Holmes and he he wasn't shot, and uh, and he beat Holmes. Holmes was still a good fighter, and he beats Larry Holmes twice. He and he stops Larry Holmes from breaking Rocky Marciano's record of forty nine or tying Rocky Marciano's record of forty nine and zero. Michael Spinks, the Spinks Jinx, great right hand puncher. I mean, unified light heavyweight, undefeated light heavyweight champion, gold medalist, heavyweight champ. Come on. You're going to dismiss all that because a great Michael Tyson that night, a Mike Tyson that night, as talented as any heavyweight in the history of this sport, that night, that night, there were a lot of nights he didn't have it all together from the mental side, but that night he had it all, Tyson. He's liable to have beaten anybody that night. That's how good he was. So that's that's not throw it all away because of that night. Um Michael Spinks. All right, that's number eight. Number nine. The great Evander Holyfield. Mm, good one. First of all, he should have been an Olympic gold medalist, Ken. He got screwed by the referee. You know, the referee, not even in position. He yells break. The punch is already on the way. I think it was a left hook. And Holyfield knocks the guy out. And the referee disqualifies him. Terrible. Terrible. He should have been a gold medalist. And... So, not only does he become heavyweight champ and beat great fighters, bigger fighters, much bigger fighters, and beat those guys and do what he has to do to become a heavyweight champ of the world. But people forget this. I mean, they don't forget he's one of the great warriors we've ever seen. But they forget he was the greatest cruiserweight champion of all time. I know that's not a division we think of a lot. He's the greatest cruiserweight champion of all time. All time. All time. I know Usyk was a great cruiserweight champ, and he's up in heavyweights. He might become, I think he will become a heavyweight champ. I, I really do. Uh, Usyk. Uh, Lomachenko and and Alex Volzik's uh, stablemate. And he's a gold medalist too, Usyk, from the Olympics. And he was a, he unified the cruiserweight title. But Holyfield, the greatest cruiserweight champ of all time, unified cruiserweight titles, 
and then he moved up and won the heavyweight title. Uh, and just, I mean, they forget that. They forget that part of his career. Special, just a, I mean, he brought meaning to the little man, you know, how the little man could beat the big man. He, he, he reminded you of that. You know, he reminded you of that. That he, you could, that David did exist. You know, he did vanquish Goliath. And Evander vanquished a lot of Goliaths. One more. Number 10. Give praise and credit when praise and credit is due. Give it. Even if he does make it look easy. Even if he rarely gets hit. Even if he does have a bigger garage with a bigger car collection than Ken. <laughs> Even if he does have more money than most people will ever need for five lifetimes. Give him. Give him credit. Even if he was around in an era that was maybe a, a pleasant era for him. You can only beat who's around in your era anyway. Mm -hmm. That's it. You can only beat who's around in your era anyway. Even though he's a guy that if you went to a baseball game, you want to see home runs, you don't want to always see great pitching, take your hat off when there's great pitching. Take your hat off when a guy can take the bat out of a, hit his hands. Just take the bat out of his hands and make him helpless. Make him just stand there at the plate and he can't do anything. Because the pitcher's hitting corners, changing speeds, just controlling them, painting a masterpiece. Give the due to Floyd Money Mayweather and his 50-0 record. So what if he beat a UFC fighter to, in one of those fights to get there? So what? So what? But you don't think other guys on on their way up, great fighters, don't get a couple of uh, gimmies? And it wasn't really a gimme. Uh, what, Conor McGregor? You know, Conor McGregor gave more than people thought he would give him. He gave more. He was winning the first four or five rounds of the fight. He gave more than people thought. And it was a Mayweather who had been off for two years, maybe more. You know, 40 years old. But anyway, I don't care. Whatever. I mean, I know he was defensive. He made a living with defense. Uh, hey, give him credit for that. Give him credit. Don't knock him because you didn't see him get hit and and prove himself the way you wanted to see him prove you for you to feel for you to feel comfortable. Give him credit for that. That they couldn't hit him. They couldn't hit him. You know. He wasn't. He didn't always make scintillating fights. He made a few. He didn't go get you the way you wanted. He did it his way. He did it the way that worked for him and worked at a magnificent level. At a magnificent level. You know, you want offense, you forget about the way he took Corrales apart. 
you know, and I mean, he, he showed you that when he needed to, when he needed to go do that. You know, he made more money of any fighter in the history of the sport. Uh, you know, very smart businessman, very smart promoter, very smart manager, if you will. Don't begrudge him for that. Don't take away from him. Don't attack him for that. Appreciate all of it. Understand and appreciate it. Floyd Mayweather, one of the great... You know, and again, we don't applaud defense enough. We don't because we want to see the home runs. We do. That's why people love Tyson. I mean, you know, because he was knocking guys out. And, you know, and other stuff too had to do with it. And it being a heavyweight. But, you know, here's a guy who won a different weight divisions. Started, I think, a junior lightweight. Went up to lightweight, junior welter, welter, junior middle. People forget that he, he whitewashed Canelo, who's one of the great, one of the top pound-for-pound fighters in boxing. I got him number three. He's gotten better and better. I mean, Canelo's mm-hmm. that good. He's that good. And I know you can make excuses left and right, bad style, wrong time. But, I mean... I mean, let it, let him, uh, Floyd Mayweather, I mean, he, he, I don't want to say he played with him, but he played with him. He, I mean, you know, I mean, he, like he says, easy work. <laughs> and I mean, other than the, the judge that should be behind bars that had to draw, <laughs> I mean, he won every round. Not, you know, just figured I'd throw that in there. You know, that's all. Just figured I'd throw that in there. Um, but, and I, not to mention that I, you know, lost my voice that night on ESPN Sports Center after the after that fight when they had me on, and I said that they should lock that judge up, <laughs> lock her up, lock her up. Really, I mean, it's terrible. I mean, yeah. are you kidding me? And but at least they listened. At least they listened, and uh, you know, just because they were forced to, because. Sports Center goes into about 120 million homes. So not that they were looking to do the right thing, but after screaming about it enough, uh, they came out the next day and they suspended the judge. They suspended her and whatever. But, of course, uh, that's just because they were forced to. But Floyd Money Mayweather. Anybody who has a middle name Money got to be considered as one of the best. You got to, just on that alone. Um, again, yeah, everyone loves the offense, but what do they say in football, Ken? Defense wins the games, right? Uh, that, Bill that's Belichick. What they say. Defense wins the big one. I don't know. Defense is damn important. Damn important. And it does win the Super Bowl a lot of times. Uh, so. There was a guy named Ozzy Smith. Do you remember him? Yep. A shortstop for the St. Louis <clears throat> back Cardinals. Backflips. And backflips, and, you know, they called him the magician, Ozzy, the, I think he was called uh, the magician. The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz. There it is. Thank you, Rob. The Wizard of Oz. And, you know, so good defensively. I think he was a better hitter than he got credit for. But, you know, he wasn't Babe Ruth. But, he or Hank Aaron or anything, but he was a great, great defensive player. 
you know. Uh, and like I said, it was a little better hitter than... And, and Floyd was a better hitter than he got credit for. <laughs> That's a funny thing, too. I'm not saying he was gargantuan, but he was a much he was better hitter than people. And he caught you clean. And and he went through a metamorphosis where I gave credit to Ali for being two alleys to you know, the first alley before the layoff, the the imposed layoff, and then the second alley where, you know, he he had to reconstruct himself just like the first form and the second form and uh I mean Mayweather First, he was known for the shoulder roll. You know, uh, he he dropped his hand. He'd entice you in to throw the right hand, and then he rolled and come back and counter you. He was that was his signature move, and then early on he used his legs. Then he went to the shoulder roll. You know, he could fight inside, outside, and and then by the time he got to the end of his career, like with the Pacquiao fight that crazy fight where the stars lined up to make it the biggest money earner ever in the history of boxing before the McGregor fight which was with a UFC fighter but I mean in that fight he didn't no longer employed the shoulder roll things changed because he was 40 years old so he didn't have the athletic ability to do that as much within his comfort zone uh, he didn't have the legs anymore to move for X amount of rounds so what did he, he, he came up with the next thing? Brilliant, brilliant. See, I just want people, give them a chance, maybe I'm not saying I'm not smart, I'm not, but I want them to be able to appreciate things that maybe sometimes you can't automatically appreciate, you know, so easily. That, that by that time, he knew that he couldn't do this as much, you know, and, and he couldn't use his legs. So he just taught, he just timed you. He timed. He knew he was fighting a southpaw. The intellect. And southpaws get hit with right hands. And quite honestly, Pacquiao and his trainer, Freddie Rhodes, they just had no answer. They sh Maybe they should have, but they didn't. They didn't make an adjustment. Floyd always made adjustments when he had to. And here he is. That night, what does he win with? Just timing him, baby. Just standing out there at the right distance. Pop. Just letting Pacquiao, you know, make the move, the first move, show his hand, and just time him. Pop! And, and, and with a guy that was probably faster than Floyd. I mean, that's how fast Pacquiao was. But timing takes speed away. Timing beats speed. So at that point, again, his career, close to 40, whatever he was, you know, not this, not this, not this, you know, not the legs. Just time Just... Pacquiao start to be ready to make a move. Just a tenth of a second before. Bop. Lead right hands. Bop. 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 Just figured I'd get you one. <laughs> so there it is, Ken. That's an impressive list. Well, Teddy, thank you for doing that. I hope the I think and I hope the fans will enjoy that one. I'm sure it'll spark lots of debate. Uh, just as a reminder, if you want to check out Teddy's um, uh, boxing tutorial videos, go to bjjfanatics.com. Please check it out. Support the show. Appreciate you guys. Teddy, thanks for doing this. Thanks, Ken. Give uh, my best to your family. And thank you. 
and get rid of that hat. (laughs) And with that, guys, thanks for being with us. Take care. 